Hello, everyone, and welcome to Going for the Green, the Daily Roto Fantasy Golf Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew to preview the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, uh, a little Open Championship recap. I, I don't really want to talk about the Open Championship too much. It was, it was, it was my worst golf week of the year but Shane Lowry wins in uh, not even a dramatic fashion uh, pretty much everyone went uh, went about their Saturday afternoon knowing that Lowry was going to win and he did yeah the first hole it felt like there's a, a chance if like two putts had swung the opposite way where Fleetwood maybe could have pulled within one but after the first couple holes it was definitely it was over and it, it kind of lacked drama. It was pretty disappointing major season all around. Obviously Tigers win at the masters makes the whole major season worthwhile, but uh, I felt like the other ones kind of lacked some of the drama. Kepka had a pull away win, you know, Lowry had a pull away win. Uh, Woodlands, I guess was at least uh, fairly entertaining. Um, but, but even he started a good bit ahead and it never felt like we had that. I don't even remember Woodland competing against anyone really. They're, they're every every day other than Tiger, it was just guys competing against themselves. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously for DFS, Rory's miscut was uh, extremely disappointing. He definitely gained a ton of respect in the process with the way that he not only kind of contended to get back inside the cut line or close to it, uh, but then just the way he handled himself in the press. And you could tell it was like a pretty emotional moment for him where he he didn't even realize it was going to hit him the way that he did so uh, I thought that was pretty cool to see and obviously a guy that you know is, is a world-class golfer but it would have been a lot more cool though if uh if he stuck it to six feet on 18 and then hit the birdie putt though probably probably would have <laughs> been a little bit cooler for everyone involved and I you know at the end of the day I think that relative to the ownership there was too much hype going into Rory, too much narrative going into Rory. And um, if you strip that out, the discrepancy between Rory and DJ really was not that big on paper, which is you know why I felt like DJ was a slightly better play. Um, it, it's not like playing DJ ended up doing you a whole lot of good, but just a little bit less bleeding than playing Rory. And, and Kepka, obviously another extremely strong major performance. I had boosted him five um, and kind of let things fly from there. It wasn't enough. I think I had kind of put him so he's like slotted third, but in my head I thought that they were closer, so I thought I'd get a little bit more exposure by doing that. And that was a mental error on my part just because I was I was boosting him to try to get him in there, and I just didn't do it quite high enough. So a uh, little bit of a leak there for my game. And then obviously Adam Scott opening up with that short putter and struggling that first day was a pretty tilting experience because those were two of the top five values that we had, and Scott had such a strong links pedigree. Yeah, I mean, once Rory and Scott missed the cut, it was just like I, I could just focus on watching the golf, right? Like there, there was just no chance. I, there was like one team I had that was – I made, you know, 400 teams or whatever, and I had one team that was live to get me back to even, and then Furyk, Jim Furyk was on it, and he was like six over on the weekend. So yeah. it's just like, you know, I, li I literally just had nothing to, to sweat for at all. I went, I went 0 for 35 in the Millionaire Maker, which was yeah, a, cool. a good experience. At least, at least it was a bunch of tickets that you had won there, so it wasn't just like bleeding cash. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of podcasts that that I listen to have started spending like twenty to thirty minutes on promo stuff and recaps, and you know, we don't we don't need to get into all that. Obviously, if you guys want to support us, you can hit the like button or you can uh, give us a review on iTunes or subscribe to Daily Roto is the best way to do it. But we can get into the FedEx St. Jude Classic. Uh, well, I guess it gets planned as WGC this year, so a little bit different. Yeah, so WGC basically means uh, no cut, smaller field. I think what it's it's sixty four guys, right? 
Or is there more than that? Yeah, and it, it kind of depends. Uh, still waiting to see what happens with Shane Lowry. Uh, I found an Irish Times article suggesting that the government was going to be throwing him a big party on Tuesday at 6 o'clock at night. So if he's still kind of pouring the Guinnesses back, it seems a little bit unlikely that he's going to end up flying over. Oh, to here's Memphis. the thing, though he would be taking like what like he'd be like skipping out on like an eighty thousand dollar paycheck if he doesn't come and make it for his tea time on thursday <laughs> so i don't know maybe maybe he takes the the private jet over on wednesday and he's just kind of in shambles and and hacks it around for a little bit but well um, guys have done this at wgc's i think i actually think daniel berger did it where he hit his tee shot and then he withdrew because yeah that was a real paycheck so that was injury oriented. I guess the thing for Lowry is like winning the open in not his home country. Cause he's from Ireland, not Northern Ireland, but close enough. And then coming home to celebrate, like, do you fly over to America right away? Or do you stay with your friends and family? I guess that'll, that'll be the thing to wait and see. Um, you'll want to pay attention to that though. Cause we know for a fact, he's going to be in Ireland on Tuesday night. So that doesn't leave a lot of time to get over there to, to Memphis. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm probably not, uh, Probably not going to play Shane Lowry. That would be that would be my that would be my advice on that. And if he does well, whatever he does well. So this yeah. is a par seventy course, seven thousand two hundred thirty eight yards. And you think, oh well, seven thousand two hundred thirty eight yards. That doesn't sound that long until you realize that there's just like a ton of super long par fours. There are a bunch of par fours that are like four hundred and sixty five to four hundred ninety yards on this course. So it does actually play pretty long. There's a ton of water on this course. Uh, we have a note here in our agenda that there was the most water balls on two on tour at the TPC Southwind. The last couple of years, there's the really small greens and uh, strokes gained approach. I, I was joking with you before the show. I'm making my teams just sorting by strokes gained approach because of uh, how long the approach shots you have to take are and how small the greens are. Yeah. Course played is the top 15 in both par adjusted distance and narrowest fairways on tour last year. So that kind of jives with what you're saying. It is 7,200 yards, but it is a par 70 and that ends up being fairly long for a par 70. Um, it was one of the 10 toughest courses on tour relative to par last year. A little bit misleading, maybe just because the field here has historically been very weak and obviously the WGC field is going to be extremely strong. Uh, but the data does suggest what you said more deviation in scores have been driven via approach than a tour average course with a slightly decreased emphasis on putting um, and pretty neutral as far as off the tee and around the green play. I, I mean, I think all of that is pretty fair. I, I just think, I think you, you could tell me that the winner this week is the guy who beats like hitting the field greens and regulation by like 10%. Like the, like the field average ends up being like 58% and the winner hits like, 72% of the greens and regulation or something. And I, I just think that has a, is going to have a big correlation to winning this week. Yes. So it's a, it's a no cut event as we covered this week. It's a small field. Uh, sometimes these no cut events get to 70 men, but it's smaller this week. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about no cut event strategy. We've went over some of this on previous podcasts before, but I think the first thing to think about is just contest selection. And one of the things is the field size in tournaments and, uh, probably something that gets overlooked. Obviously, a lot of people like to chase the the large prizes and you want to have the ability to sweat for life-changing money. But if you're trying to grind a profit most weeks, um, even with the same kind of expected ROI, playing the small fields is going to lead to lower variance. You're going to realize your edge faster. And then this week specifically, a lot less likely that you're going to duplicate a lineup if you're entering a small field GPP than firing into some of the MME events. Uh, like obviously, 
it, it's fun to play the MME events. It's fun to put together 150 lineups in the optimizer. But I think if you're trying to grind a uh, profit at the small field, GPPs are the way to go and trying to make sure that you play in a tournament that you can max center. Uh, I'm just going to be doing the MMEs, obviously. I am going to, I am going to be trying to avoid dupes though. I'm going to, I think I'm going to run 4,000, 49,800 max salary as like, just like that, that, that right there is probably the easiest way you can avoid dupes, I think. Yeah. And then our optimizer has a setting for the total projected ownership. So you can cap that there. If you're leaving salary on the table, you could go maybe as high as 85% total cumulative ownership. And no, the, the magic settings are, are 75 for uh, 49.8 with like 35 shuffle. Those are, those are the print money settings. You just can't hit the lock button on Rory if you're going to do that. Yeah, I would not, uh, I would not, I would not recommend that. Um, so won't, they won't be great. So with, with no cut, uh, one of the other questions I think that is lingering is like, do you play more pure projections since the cut variance isn't there? All guys get four rounds. Rory being a perfect example. Uh, last weekend, if he makes uh, birdie on the 18th hole there, he makes the cut. It wouldn't be shocking at all if he top 20 the event with the way that the weather shook out. And definitely from a DK scoring, that would have re- removed well, he would have been he would have been in the, the nice weather wave on that Saturday morning where, like, dudes were shooting. Like, I think uh, someone shot a 64. Uh, uh, Willett shot a 64 Saturday morning. Yeah, and if not, he could have posted a number um, like, like Molly did on Sunday, right? So... There's less variance, so I think because of, at least relative to the projections, so I think because of that, um, there's an argument to be made that you can play them a little bit more straight up. Uh, of course, the flip side of that is that if you want to take low-owned flyers, those guys also now have a much higher floor. So if you if you've got a guy that you like a little bit at five percent owned, like you can definitely feel comfortable firing him because you know worst case his floor is a lot higher this week and. And obviously, this, the upside of capturing a low-owned guy who wins, like Shane Lowry last week, is massive in these top-heavy tournaments. Yeah, I, I will probably run the settings at like a low projected own, but maybe I'll take the shuffle down this week. And if like if the projections are jamming something crazy, like uh, I like I don't know, like any like or something. Yeah, like so, like if something like that happens, I might just let it ride because. You know, I, I guess the thing to mention is these are there are only two par fives on here, and they have a combined birdie percentage of like two percent. So that means two percent of the time when they get played, it ends in like an eagle. I think it's one point five percent for the longer one, and uh, like three point two percent for the shorter one. So just like if you have a guy who gets two eagles over the course of four days, and he finishes t thirty eight, it's he's probably still going to have like a better DraftKings score because I don't think. Like with only two bar fives, there's just a not a not a ton of like DraftKings scoring points to be had. Yeah, definitely for the the value guys uh, at the top end, like or guys who are contending, you're gonna need the guys who finish higher in place points. But there can be wide disconnects between guys who finish at 30th and 60th, and the 60th guy could still outscore him if he puts together, like you said, eagle, even like a birdie streak. Yeah, like I, like that's the, I mean that's the biggest thing about no cut events is you just outside of like probably like the top five finishing points you just need to really be focused or or, or what ends up mattering is DraftKings scoring points. So coming in, uh, a lot of guys with pretty good form uh, relative to the baseline. The guys with the best form, like relative to their personal baseline, are actually. Uh, some guys who had top end finishes last week, Danny Willett, Henrik Stenson, Patrick Reed, all playing really strong relative to their personal baseline. And then throwing a couple other names here that aren't going to be su- surprising. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, 
uh, string of competitive performances, not the top end finish at the Open Championship, but still made the cut, uh, finished 41st. Obviously, Shane Lowry, if he shows up. Adam Scott and Rory were coming in with the strongest form before their missed cuts, but it's it's such a different event this week. It's hard to put too much stock in that, and if anything, maybe a little bit more time for the bodies to adjust than Webb Simpson still just cruising around with really solid performances. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually think a, a fun thing about this week is people are like probably going to – like people who are hand-building lineups are probably not going to play Rory and Scott as much. So that those are like good spots to go back to this week, I feel like. Yeah. it's I agree with the, the hand-built thing, especially um, Scott. I think optimizers will still jam Scott pretty good just because – Yeah, the, well, optimizers don't know how to be scared. <laughs> optimizers don't have recency bias they got yeah only a little bit if you dial up that short-term form which i will and i still i like it i i am a big short-term form truther i like move the bar from the data golf weights to like 45 every week and it, it still is not gonna matter scott's still gonna be like on zero shuffle scott will still be like a 60 percent play across 150 lineups yeah i mean he was com- he was cruising before the miscuts 18th eighth second seventh um so it, it kind of came out of nowhere which is obviously why he was one he of the higher it off. he didn't bring the long putter like what was he doing what was he doing with the short putter does it like does anyone did anyone report on this like what happened uh a couple guys i think noticed it watching the practice rounds um but i'm not sure why but i guess you got to be grinding the film this week i i would have i would have probably moved scott from like 45 percent to like 20 percent had i known he was not bringing the cheating butter for real so as far as course history one of the things we didn't cover most of these guys haven't played this event even five times in the previous 10 seasons it was a spot on the schedule where it was previously uh, it was a a grinders event before it was a wgc i think it was before the u.s open right yeah i mean daniel Berger's won this event two times in the past three years and he can't even get into the field this year this was like a this was like a kelly craft aaron battley jerry kelly event before baby and gomez ben crane previous champs obviously dj um so dj and brooks are two of the only guys that have actually played the course five times dj with two wins brooks with a second and a third place finish in those weak fields and then Phil Mickelson, probably the best course history. He was just showing up here to, to have some fun, cash and paychecks, and maybe try out some of those U.S. Open shots. But he has a really strong finish. Uh, hasn't finished outside the top 15 in his last six appearances. But Phil is coming in in some of the, the worst form in his career. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think I I've, been, I've touted Phil on this podcast, and I don't I don't think that Phil is going to get a tout here on this on this show. Yeah, the the thing is, he's only 7,300, and he can string together those birdies sometimes, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, but overall, uh, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what you really do with the fact that this course is like a grinder's course. Maybe the, maybe the stats, uh, like maybe the approach stats or whatever, maybe we have a weird distorted view of it because we haven't seen good golfers on the show, bef- on, on this course before. Yeah, and and I think the scoring relative to par is a little bit misleading. Um, I think it'll play easier than than it has historically, obviously, because the field's better. Yeah. Um, all right. So ready to get into it uh, at the at the expensive range. We have Brooks, DJ, Rory, JT, John Rahm, and Tommy Fleetwood all over uh, over ten thousand. I'll, I'll tell you what. I can guarantee I will not have a single Tommy Fleetwood lineup. <laughs> 
I don't think I'll have any time with Fleetwood either. Um, just kind of lost in that range there. Uh, compelling reasons to like most of these guys, probably lowest on Brom and Fleetwood out of the bent, out of the bunch. Um, probably higher on JT compared to the data golf default projections. Uh, just don't think the injury stuff is accounted for there. And seems like he's healthy kind of back on track. I expect him to be, to kind of regain his spot inside the world golf rankings eventually. And one of the, one of the top five approach players in this field. So I really like JT. I think he's going to be one of the lower owned guys this week. Uh, maybe close to Rory. It seems like maybe a little bit ownership will, will flood to DJ. So I guess Rory and JT were my initial takes, but we got to talk about Kepka. I mean, it's, it's not a major, but there's a ton of money up top. And usually the knock is that he's been saying he has been practicing coming into normal tour events, but he's obviously playing more recently. He's going to string together more events over this next little bit than he has previously. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you, if you want to get inside his head, due to the way that the schedule works out now, he, the, the, the character that he's built for himself says that there's not an event he cares about for 240 more days or something until, until April, 2020. So what's he going to do? What was he, is he just going to suck at golf and just ruin his, uh, his form and the data golf model even more? Is he just going to be like T 52 at all these events? Cause he says he doesn't care. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think money talks. So I think he's going to show up. I think he's going to play this week. Uh, I've, I've got him projected for 10% ownership right now. And I think that's a guy in a no cut event that I want exposure to in tournaments. I don't, I, I don't think I want to play Brooks very much. I think I'd rather just double down on Rory. Yeah. Fair. Which like, I don't know. It's just, if Brooks is, if Brooks is going to say one, I don't care about these events Two, he's more expensive than Rory and Dustin. And three, the data golf stuff is going to make me have to give him like a plus 11 to get him into lineups anyways. It just feels like I should probably just trust the math. Yeah. On DK, you got to give him a big bump to get in there. The price and setup historically is softer on FanDuel. I haven't built lineups there yet this week, but I would just say in general, it's easier to to get in these top end golfers, sometimes multiple of them. So um, and my results have actually been a lot better on FanDuel this year. So I think there's something to that. And I, I think that, yeah, I mean, they end up putting together better rosters on FanDuel um, and it's worked out better for me. I will probably, I will actually probably just wimp out and just create a min one DJ Rory JT ROM rule and just kind of let the exposure fall where it may, right? Like just be like, okay, if I get 8% John ROM, 12% uh, Justin, 40% Rory, 40% Dustin, that's fine. I don't think I'm on board with that rule this week. Uh, it feels like the kind of gap between the top players and the next tier has converged a little bit um, where uh, most weeks uh, with these stronger fields, I feel like there's 10 guys that I'm, I'm really thinking could anchor a roster. And for a lot of the, the time, the balanced roster construction has kind of come through in some of these bigger spots. So um, in the next range, two of the guys I like the most are Patrick Cantlay and Justin Rose. And then I also have some interest in the bottom of that range with, Matt Kuchar, who uh, not the the longest guy in tour, but definitely one of the top ten approach players in this field, and, and really balanced overall game. Yeah, well, I, I guess maybe I spoke too soon because there's there's no way I'm not going to be playing a ton of Cantlay and Xander. So I guess I guess I probably spoke too soon with that rule. Maybe maybe I just won't play any Rom. Maybe I'll just make Rory and JT lineups, and then try and get Cantlay and Xander in a bunch as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the um, 
I mean, with with Rom, uh, the like his his strength is definitely off the tee play. He's still uh, fine on approach, but if you do think it's approach heavy, and you're looking for a reason to move off of one of those guys, like the the approach game would be the knock on Rom, and and that would be one of the reasons that you would want to hone in even more than on like a Patrick Cantlay or or maybe even like a Henrik Stenson. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, if we're, if we're sorting by a strokes gained approach, you know who number two is on, on tour strokes gained approach. Who's that? The bot. It's, it's Stenson. It's Stenson and Hideki one and two. So maybe if I, if I'm, if I'm being true to my tout word, I would probably play more Stenson and Hideki than I would Cantlay and Xander, but it appears, it appears that I'm being a fraud tout right now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Cause I also think Stenson's going to be the lowest owned of that group of players too. price elevation um got him at 12 percent ownership and that is the lowest out of any anybody um above yeah above nine thousand dollars along with kepka who we talked about so yeah you i mean go kepka right. and be very contrarian only one percent of the field is going to play both those guys so i should just i should what you're saying is i should lower my own cap to like 45 in the optimizer right <laughs> Yeah, it is. I was playing around with how low to potentially get it. Um, not just to avoid dupes, but to get like more differentiation and p- perhaps take some like bigger stands this week, just so I don't spread myself thin. And just, I've been, feel like I've been bleeding to the rake a little bit and not taking big enough stands on, on some guys. Um, but in that, in that $8,000 range, Hideki is definitely one of the strongest plays. I think he'll come in with some of the highest ownership, got him around 22% right now. But Hideki not a guy that I want big, to fade. Chalk, I think. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't want to fade him at that price either. When you know that skill set is what's going to be demanded this week, and you don't have to win eighty nine hundred. I love this range of golfers. Like these are all dudes I love to play. Uh, the bot, Bryson, Adam Scott. Like I, I, I guess the fact that I am not going to play Speed, not going to play Lowry, not going to play Day, not going to play Casey, not going to play Louie. Like I guess that does allow me to sort of condense my ownership up there a little bit if you if you want to if you want to uh talk about a w dealer i I think louie is going to be on firm w dealer this week that's a that's a take from me the the pyramid scheme is taking in money this week it uh it was a it was looking like it was going to be a payout week last week and then he had a really bad sunday but it was it was looking for a little while like it was going to be a a payout week from the pyramid scheme but this is definitely a pay-in week with louie yeah, so I, I think the the guys I like most relative to their value are Hideki, Scott, Webb, maybe maybe Gary Woodland. A lot of ownership flooding to some of those guys as well. I was playing around with some contrarian builds and ended up with a lot of Jason Day in those builds this week, and I think that's a spot where it doesn't it doesn't fit the stats that I'm looking for but the projection is decent and the ownership's pretty low and you got to find ways to differentiate. So if you set that cap of ownership pretty low, then you're going to end up with some guys like Jason Day. You're going to end up with some guys like Paul Casey, who is an elite tee green play player inside the top 15 in both off the tee and approach a guy who can't necessarily putt to save his life, but um, maybe that's not a required skill this week. Mm, no, thanks. I, I would rather, I'd rather, I'd rather just get like, like weird, like, RCB, Matthew Wolf, Daniel Willett, like lineups in there. I just yeah. don't, I just don't want to play Volcasey. 
So one of the other guys wanted to get your opinion on was Patrick Reed. A good finish at the Open Championship. He had had a down year overall. For the most part, he has not been playing well. So he's not going to pop in any stats-based models unless you zero in super recent on the form. But he had turned it around in strokes gained approach at both the Rocket Mortgage and the 3M Open, gaining six-plus strokes on approach in each of those events, and then finished it off with a good showing at the Open Championship. Um, I think when you think about Reed, it's it's mostly kind of short game. Uh, you don't I, think. I about think him. of him as just like smashing in his five iron. Like I think of when Reed is good, I think of him being like a really good iron player. But like obviously he loses it though is the issue. Yeah. So I was interested just like when I was doing my own work, kind of leading into this, and and then I said the ownership at fifteen percent, one of the higher owned guys, and I think. That would be a guy I would consider Xing if the ownership lingers there as one of the highest owned players plays in this range. Much prefer Webb Simpson. Yeah, I, I won't I won't be playing any of Patrick Reed. I, I just I can already tell you that that Matt Wolf sort of in this uh, like 8K-ish range, like I I'm probably gonna add that dude at 40, 40-ish, 30, like 35%. Like I just I just want to play that guy because our ownership projection on him right now is super low. And I think he's like a he's one of the guys who's drawing live. For like two eagles and added benefit the money means something to him he do just turn pro so so the wgc money uh if he if he's sitting at like t22 saturday night like he's he's ready to make a run for a check on sunday and that is uh that's as that's as fraud touty as i'm gonna get for the rest of this podcast <laughs> yeah I, I like i don't think i'll end up playing wolf um obviously huge step up in class for him this week having competed most recently in the the travelers the rocket mortgage Colin, Colin is not program. embracing the uh, the no data takes on this podcast the jdc i just i just can't let the the people jam in matthew wolf um, at a $7500 price tag when you have some pretty competitive golfers that are, are priced kind of just above or just below them that's how that's how the that's how the 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 squad thinks though that's how that's how the public thinks so i'm going to get wolf at like 6% ownership a winner on the pga tour this year yeah, well, most most of these guys are either top end golfers or winners. So, when's uh, when's the last time Billy Horschel won anything? That's uh, it's probably been what two years. I don't know. I I think I just think that there's a lot of plays in this range I don't want. Like, there's just a lot of guys I have literally zero interest in playing. But I know that this range is going to be necessary. I know that one there's going to be plays in this range that do T10 and that they're going to be necessary to be in good lineup builds. But I know, like, I'm not playing Bubba Watson. I'm not playing Kevin Kisner. I'm not playing Alex Noren. So, like, I just know that I'm going to end up on a ton of wolves, so I'm sort of talking myself into him as a play because I hate some of these other guys as plays so much. Yeah, so um, I guess a, a couple guys that are pretty strong on approach, if you're looking into those metrics, um, Chez Revy, 7,900, 7, Sergio Garcia, at 7,800, a little bit more expensive than the rest of the range on average, obviously, but they're top 20 players inside the field in strokes gained approach. And then all the way down at the bottom is Jim Furyk at $7,000, uh, has been playing pretty decently all around this year. He can struggle on some of the tracks that are longer. Um, doesn't feel like he's live to, to win at all, but he, he does pop in some of those stats. And um, if, if you're looking for approach, I guess that's kind of Furyk's bread and butter. 
Yeah, uh, a little bit cheaper than Furyk, though. Here are some dudes who I'm ready to just get the chips in the middle with. Uh, Houtong and Killikeep. I just, four, four days of scoring with those guys. Uh, it feels, feels like they could both finish in, like, the 30s in this event, but finish in, like, the top 15 in the scoring. Yeah, and I think this range is going to end up being pretty important. Um, I, I like Keegan's uh, right there, too, right? Like, we always tilt it off with Keegan because we're scared yeah. he's going to be first round leader and then he's going to miss the cut but he's playing four rounds so he should dk score he should outscore wherever he finishes now he could finish 60th or he could contend but he's really good td green and he should dk score over the course of four events so um i'm more comfortable playing keegan this week than than i typically am just because there's there's not much downside that i see I will probably X the one, two, three, four. I'll probably X the bottom nine cheapest guys and then turn the shuffle up. And like if I'm getting Max Homa, Sun Kang, Corey Connor lineups, just with the way my settings are, I don't think I'm going to be like, okay, I won't play those guys. Yeah. And I, I mean, you're going to get like 2% ownership, 5% and end up being the, the type of guy that differentiates the, the rosters a little bit. And if you want to bet first round leaders, actually, I was playing around with that earlier. Um, and a couple of these guys are actually plus EV first round leaders at some books. It kind of varies, but it feels like some of the books haven't maybe properly adjusted for the, the field size. Not that they're reflecting a full field, but uh, getting some, some big prices on some of these guys that can definitely go low for a single event, even if we don't think that they're live to win the whole thing. Yeah, I, I want to do I want to do some top twenty betting. Like I want to bet I want to bet Keith and Houtong for for T twenties. That just feels like a fun way for me to try and start to grind back to even after the uh, the massacre at the Open Championship. Yeah. So if I stick to three max, I think like the Keegan Bradley type player, Keith Mitchell type player, is the guy that's going to finish out my roster. Perhaps even sticking two of them on there and then pounding the top end or the like 9k range and grabbing like three or four guys that are live to win the event in MME I think there is a reason to play some of these guys that they're, they're just they're not good players but just the math on them says that one of them is going to finish inside the top 20 because they all have like 15 to 20 percent odds to t20 and they're all going to be sub five percent owned so if I go the MME route Kevin Na is going to be in lineups Lucas Beerguard is going to be in lineups. Kevin Tway is going to be in lineups. Um, Justin Harding is going to be in lineups. And Nate Lashley is going to be in lineups. So I do think if you're going the MME route, perhaps it's a, a week where you want to get some exposure to some of these guys because uh, at least one of them is going to top 20, and that might be all you need depending if you connect the dots up top. So if you're taking big stands up top, I like the idea of diversifying down low and playing a lot of these guys with a little exposure. I guess probably how much of a stance I take is going to depend on like how owned do you think Bubba's going to, or not Bubba, how owned do you think Brooks is going to be? 10%. Kind of like if I would like Brooks to like, if he was like 15 to 20, then I would kind of just let my pool run. But if Brooks is only like 10%, then I guess I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to figure something out. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I won't play DJ. Maybe I'll just go Dustin and Rory, or uh, uh, Justin and Rory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's just funny the way that DFS golf works because like DJ Rory, I mean last week everybody wanted to play Rory at two X the ownership. This week everyone wants to play DJ, and you know what is there but the the course history or the the home course narratives going into that 
Um, DJ has finished well here, but none of the other top end players have competed with him here. So it's not like he was beating the world here, like, um, like, you know, Tiger at Augusta or something like that. Yeah. He's beating Adam Spenson here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I'm, I think I'm probably just going to go back to Rory. What, what is he, uh, someone, someone in chat called him fancy JB Holmes this week. And it put me on like a, like a three day long tilt. Like every JB Holmes miss, I was like, I was like tilting at this guy. I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't know if Rory would have shot 87 on Sunday at Royal Port Rush, but maybe. <laughs> it's still tilting me. Four days later, I'm still upset about it. You have, uh, you have one and done thoughts? Yeah, I'm first going to make sure I enter lineups. I think I missed lineups again last week. So not ideal to, to miss out on majors when you're chasing the fourth segment at all. Um, Justin Thomas, I think, is one of the one-and-done guys I haven't used yet. Perhaps I think he's very live to win this week, very strong on approach, and perhaps will be a little bit lower owned than some of the top-end guys. I think I am going to go Justin Rose because I don't think I've used him yet. So I, I used I used Dustin last week, so that didn't go. That didn't go particularly great. But I think I think Rose seems like Rose when he's got the game going. I don't know if anyone's a better strokes gained approach player than Rose, and I, I definitely think he won't be chalky this week at all. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Not a one and done. I don't even think Rose is going to be chalky in DFS. Um, and n- not only is strong on approach, but his his short game has been really good too. So I like Rose this week. All right. Well, that is uh, that's going to do it for us here at the Going for the Green Daily Road of Fantasy Golf podcast. If you guys are interested in accessing the projections and the premium content at DailyRoto.com, you are able to do that. Do we have any uh, promotions going on right now, Colin? Yeah, 10% off with the promo FNTSY, and then we'll be back. Um, I mean, the NFL is around the corner. Really excited about that. I know you and I are going to be grinding the preseason slates. So it's sneaking up, Davis. It's here. It's a fun time to gamble. It's a fun time to get involved. It is. It's true. All right, everyone. That will uh, do it for us this week. Good luck at the WGC St. Jude.